Welcome to Dialogue Across Difference, an event series hosted by the Center for the Study of Politics and Governance at the University of Minnesota's Humphrey School of Public Affairs. Join us as Center Director Larry Jacobs and guests engage in conversations across the political and policy spectrum on issues of the day. Uh, we're very excited to welcome you to today's program, uh, The Changing Landscape of Election Audits. And we have a distinguished panel. Pam Anderson is election policy and administration uh, expert. Um, she is or was the city clerk for Wheat Ridge, Colorado. She served two terms as the Republican clerk and reporter in Jefferson County um, and has held important leadership positions for the Colorado County Clerks Association, including president and executive director. We're also joined by Bob Giles, who is the director of New Jersey Division of Elections. He's also served on the uh, standards board for the United States Election Assistance Commission. He's also worked uh, with EIISAC and NASED. He's also, on top of all this, he's an adjunct professor for Rutgers University's Center for Government Services, where he teaches election administration. And we're also delighted to have uh, with us today and moderating today's conversation, Jennifer Morell, who is a former local election official and an expert in election audits. She's a partner at the Elections Group um, and has been uh, critical in implementing statewide uh, audit reforms, including in Colorado and their well-known risk limiting audit. She's also authored a series on election audits entitled Knowing It's Right, which I'd highly recommend. It's one of the great resources out there. And with great pleasure, I turn things over to Jennifer Morrell. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Larry. Uh, really honored and excited to be here. Uh, Pam and Bob, thank you so much for joining me. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Uh, I want to just add a little bit to uh, Larry's introduction of you both because I think it will help shape the conversation. Uh, as someone who's had the fantastic opportunity to work closely with both of you, um, I just want to say uh, this is really exciting to get you both together. I know you both ran elections for many years at the local level. Uh, Bob, I don't know if that was mentioned in your introduction. Uh, that is something that is not an insignificant achievement. Uh, Pam, I thought of you in many ways as the mother hen of elections in Colorado, as the executive director of the Clerks Association. Uh, you served in that capacity uh, the entire time I was a local election administrator there. And I know you thought a lot about auditing and validating elections as somebody who was always providing resources and support and guidance uh, to Colorado's 64 counties, including support during that uh, critical time when we implemented risk limiting audits. And now you are a consultant and you've been able to share that expertise, uh, helping jurisdictions of all sizes improve the way they administer elections. And I know I found that expertise incredibly valuable uh, when you so graciously agreed to give me feedback on the ballot accounting guide that was part of the uh, Knowing It's Right series that Larry mentioned. And now you're running for Secretary of State in Colorado. Yeah. So I, I know this changing landscape of election audits uh, that we're going to discuss today, I'm sure is going to be a frequent topic of discussion for you over the next year. Um, Bob, I guess if Pam is the mother hen of elections in Colorado, that must make you the rooster. Regarding <laughs> <laughs> uh, the hen house, so to speak, uh, you support 21 counties um, in New Jersey, and you have this just tremendous legacy of shepherding your counties through everything from natural disasters to a not insignificant amount of change in the way that voting has been administered for years in New Jersey. And uh, I've watched you champion and grow a statewide election security program and transition to voting entirely by mail in response to COVID in 2020. And now this year, um, implementing early voting with really no runway time uh, to, to get it off the ground. And, and you did it remarkably well. And 
throughout all of this change, you've been helping your counties transition towards uh, new voting equipment that produces a paper record, which brought to life an old post-election audit law that required you to stand up a state auditing committee, uh, develop and implement audit processes and procedures, uh, despite the fact that the law uh, is antiquated in many respects. So I know you and I have had many conversations around today's topic of this, this changing landscape of, of election audits. Um, I think you and uh, hopefully those that are watching today uh, know I've been an ambassador of sorts for election audits. I've uh, worked uh, to create tools and information to assist uh, state and local election officials in creating robust post-election audit programs. I've spoken extensively about the need for other types of tests or audits to help validate the work we do and help us continue to professionalize and improve our practices. And so I think you probably both would agree, and I think it goes without saying uh, that this year has been an interesting year uh, with respect to election audits. We've seen them used by election officials to demonstrate the integrity of an election. Uh, we've also seen them used by non-professionals, non-election officials in an attempt to demonstrate an election was flawed or worse. Um, in some instances, we've seen this term audit um, become weaponized. So, so I actually want to start a discussion uh, on the positive side of election audits and give you both a chance to just share your thoughts on the value in continuing to discuss and define how we conduct election audits and efforts within the election community to expand uh, election auditing. And uh, with that, Pam, I, if, if it's okay, I'll start with you and then Bob. Um, sure, well, thanks for that introduction and hello everyone. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's been very positive over my career. I mean, I started looking um, at different types of audits back in 2007 in Colorado. For us, it was a real evolution. Um, you know, audits have been around a long time. We've, we've had them quite a long time. When, when I came in, it was all digital recorded electronic devices. We didn't have a paper trail. We had absentee paper, um, and that was increasing in popularity. And um, local election officials and integrity activists um, were interested in how do we validate um, how the systems were operating. Um, and we, we actually started with a policy before we had the capability to go to a risk limiting audit. Um, the the a legacy systems couldn't produce uh, a record, um, a cast vote record to tell us how it interpreted the vote. The industry came, came forward with the next iteration to be able to do that. Um, it took us 10 years and we actually delayed the implementation, the legal implementation a couple of times. We maintained audits, the parallel audits where we were hand counting and comparing it to the, to the result, which was, um, which was helpful. Um, but in the meantime, we also evolved um, sort of our, our methods of voting, how people access the ballot, getting verified paper. So, you know, I think the positive thing that we saw in our state, you're starting to see across the country as well, jurisdictions exploring their options, both with technology and vote method and um, process and operational procedure on how to validate and their um, not just outcomes, but processes as well. Uh, I think that's great, Pam, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that need to have some sort of flexibility in the structure and methods. Uh, Bob, thoughts? Hi, um, thank you, uh, and also thank you for the, the kind introduction, and thank you for having me here today. Um, and kind of similar to, to what Pam was saying, uh, we've actually had an audit law on the books since the early 2000s. Um, you know, after Florida 2000, there was this wave of changes to election laws in the, in the very early 2000s. We had the Help America Vote Act come out, all of that. And as part of that, at that time, we did not have uh, voting machines that produced the voter verified paper audit trail. Uh, we had basically all DRE direct recording electronic machines. So there was a, the law was passed to require us to move to uh, some type of paper trail machine. And at the same time, they, they put our audit law in, in place, um, which was basically a 2% audit 
but it had some language uh, referencing the statistical power of 99, which at the time was considered the gold standard of, of auditing. And, and, and obviously audits have evolved a lot since that, that time. So, so eventually we, we did not, they, um, they suspended the law requiring us to go to the paper trail for financial reasons. And then we did not actually go to the paper trail. So this, uh, this audit law set on the books for, for a very long time. And now we've moved um, to some of the counties just through a natural progression have moved to uh, paper audit trails. And now with early voting, which we started this year, all early voting uh, sites have to have voter verified paper audit trails. So we, over the last few years, we started using our audit law, which is when it's just voting machines at a precinct or an election district, uh, it's pretty straightforward. 2% of your districts, you audit them. And the, what was a bit confusing is what the meaning of statistical power of 99 really meant. Um, so basically, we were all, we always kind of over audited to make sure we got to the 100%. So we were always covered. Um, but now as, as we, we move on to early voting, where uh, creating batches or you no longer have election districts to audit, you have nine days of voting on one, you know, say 10 machines in a location. Well, all nine days are contained in one machine, which could be thousands of votes. So when you start talking about auditing and you find yourself in a position of auditing large batches, it does make it challenging. Um, but having audits are, are a good thing. And, and especially in light of the last few years, being able to say, yes, we have an audit law on the books. And yes, we do conduct audits. Makes, uh, makes a lot of people feel better that, okay, I don't have to ask you for it. You're actually doing it already because it's in your law, I think is very helpful. And I think that, uh, and you know, this year we had a gubernatorial election, very close, wasn't decided for a few days. So there, there was a lot of concern, are we going to have an audit? And, and when we received that, those requests, uh, basically our answer was yes, we have an audit law, we will be conducting an audit and it, it put people at ease. So I, I think having that in, in law is really helpful um, ahead of time. That's, that's fantastic, Bob, Pam, both of you, thanks. I think uh, you both mentioned sort of the focus this year that has occurred uh, around audits and people discussing audits. Uh, you also mentioned uh, the importance of a paper trail or sort of the transitions that you both saw in moving to voting equipment that created a paper trail. And I think one sort of positive thing I've seen in the focus on this this year is we have had a chance to sort of dig in just a little bit more into the details when we say we're conducting an audit or going through the canvas or certification process. What are all the safety mechanisms? What are all the checks we go through as part of that? And one um, that I think is really important is um, chain of custody. Uh, the National Association of Secretaries of State uh, recently approved some post-election audit recommendations. And one of those recommendations emphasized this um, the importance of election officials ensuring chain of custody procedures uh, throughout the audit. And when we when we talk about this, uh, as you both know, this means the track tracking the movement and the transportation of ballots and voting equipment through signature logs, security seals, witness signatures, etc. Uh, we also know that strong ballot accounting, so reconciling that number of ballots cast to those that were counted, is, is vital to a successful post-election audit. And these are two elements, I think, of election administration uh, that I've heard you both speak passionately about, sort of maintaining that chain of custody. Uh, it ensures, uh, you know, in addition to all those other things, I think the other uh, important element here is it ensures an election can be recreated if necessary, right? It's one of the reasons why election officials are the legal custodian of ballots and ballot equipment. Uh, and because of that, election audits are most often conducted under the authority of the election official. That's certainly the case in Colorado. I know it's the case in New Jersey as well. Even though that the actual review of ballots may be performed by uh, bipartisan citizen uh, audit boards or, or poll workers or, or what have you. So I wanna sort of shift a little bit and, and have you both sort of share some thoughts. One, just generally around chain of custody, why it's important to maintain that. And then thinking a little bit about the, the being the custodian of those ballots, why should audits be conducted by election professionals? 
and not just handed over uh, to special interest groups. And then any thoughts you might have on the role that independent observers play. And we can, we can just sort of round robin, whoever has thoughts here, uh, speak up in, in no order of those questions. <laughs> Do you want to go first this time? All right. <laughs> All right. I'll I'll jump in with the the chain of custody, and we can kind of bounce around. Sure. Um, and and you're right. Chain of custody is so critical um, because at the end of the day, you know, you, you want, like you said, you want to be able to recreate the 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 election or 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 how the the ballots have been transferred. It's so, you know, if they leave the election site, where did they go? Um, who handled them? Who received them? So be able to create this trail, this chain of custody is, it really is one of the most important parts because if there's a gap there, it opens up uh, people's concern or, or, or skepticism that, well, what do you mean you, you don't know what happened to the ballots overnight? Like, so, so that's a, that you, you want to make sure you, you can identify um, who had it and that it's always been entrusted election officials' hands through that process. That, that yes, this was the assigned person and they brought it in, they handed it off to the next assigned person. So you, you, can, you can show that. So, so I agree, like chain of, the, the chain of custody is a, is a critical component of, of ultimately getting to the audit. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would reemphasize, you know, as a local election official, um, you're sort of the general of the operation, right? You're putting out, and even regardless of the size of your jurisdiction, you're putting out a pretty significant team. Um, you're often working with folks that are working, been trained and work for one day. Um, and, you know, you want to know what's happening out there as well. From a legal perspective, there are legal mechanisms um, that recreating that election through documentation. So not only from auditing, but from process evaluation, you want to be able to demonstrate um, what happened in that given day. And, you know, often when I talk to people about elections, I say, you know, it's the perfect mix of human and technological. And, and what it really is, is a giant accounting project. And the role that, that our poll workers and our election workers play and our, our uh, bipartisan teams from a transparency perspective couldn't be more important. That's a piece of that chain of custody. Um, in Colorado, it's a citizen election that are appointed by the, the interested parties. And so that's, that's important. And also it plays a role, that documentation plays a role in the certification, in the reconciliation. Um, so that if you identify any sort of discrepancies in reconciling an election, you can go back and sort of recreate what happens there. Um, election, independent election observers, I think maintaining that custody um, through that entire legal procedure is super important. I always imagined, you know, if I, I had a duty and ob obligation that if I, if, if we identified in an issue election, I had to take that and contest my own election in a legal framework and go to court. And independent observers um, and having independent validation is something that um, we've built over time um, in, in Colorado. I think, you know, sometimes we've seen, particularly in the last year when you have independent observers, you know, risk to seeing, seeing something that they, they have challenges putting into context of what that, that full election system is. And so, you know, I do hear people say, oh, you know, then there's mis and disinformation about what they're seeing. Um, I think that's true. I think, you know, put placing um, our processes into context for the public, for our, our independent observers um, is important for election officials, but also um, maintaining that access for independent observation um, uh, needs to be maintained. Um, and, and working together and how we communicate what we're seeing in a complex system uh, is the big challenge that we, that we all face. Um, I don't agree with interested parties doing, um, uh, taking the, the election records and doing an audit outside of chain of custody. However, in Colorado, you know, with digital systems, with technology, you can provide access to a lot of uh, election records for independent verification. And I think that's a continuing conversation we need to have. 
about how can we provide that level of independent auditability um, while maintaining the, the, the election records um, under a strict legal chain of custody. Yeah, and I think, uh, oh, sorry, Bob, go, no, go ahead. ahead. I, I was just looking at a couple of questions uh, that popped up and um, listening to you talk about the observer process sort of re reminded me that the value in that is not just at this one point of time, <coughs> right? When we do the audit or when we go through that canvas process, but having them there to sort of validate um, that chain of custody and the activities happening around that are really critical. Um, somebody asked in the Q&A if we could talk a little bit about that chain of custody process in all mail ballot states. And I, you know, I will just say for brevity and, and Pam, Bob, certainly uh, fill in if I've left any gaps, but from the time a uh, ballot's picked up a, a batch at the post office or out of a ballot drop box to the time that they're sealed in a box, Every time they change hands, meaning every time they move from being received in, sorted, gone through the signature verification process, are, are opened, the ballot is removed, uh, it's flattened and prepared for scanning all the way through. Every time those change hands, what we see is not only um, a log to indicate who has possession of those and what date, uh, they had possession, but usually a unique batch tracking ID, uh, often accompanied by a piece count so that we can see. Um, it's that accounting project that you mentioned, Pamela, or Pam, of, um, you know, have we lost or added any ballots in the course of doing this? So I think um, those are sort of my, my brief thoughts in answer to that question on chain of custody. Uh, any others? And then I've got a, another question for you on yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I saw the question. I think we we pretty much duplicate the chain of custody for in-person and early voting um, systems as well. We also, I would just add, um, in addition to the custody logs from the, you know, the, the incoming, we also have ballot inventory uh, logs. So we know, you know, how many ballots um, are printed um, and, and some security on that, that side of the, the formula as well. I mean, we, um, our laws are very generous in issuing a ballot. Um, we have really tight controls on receiving ballots, right? How, you know, we have to, we can only receive one ballot back for an individual voter. And those types of system controls are important to have in place regardless of the vote method um, and duplicating those, those controls. So for, for New Jersey, we, even though we're not normally an all vote by mail state in 2020 for the general election, we, we did run our presidential general election as an all vote by mail election. So that was the first time we, we started using drop boxes. Uh, we required the drop boxes have a camera on them, a security camera at all times. So you can review if, if there was an issue, you can go back and review that drop box to see if anybody tampered with it. Um, when those ballots are picked up, uh, in New Jersey, we have a, a Republican and a Democrat, so you, you have a check and balance there picking them up. They're, they're taking them on. We, does, we use a very specific uh, type of drop box where you, it, it has an insert, so you, you're not actually grabbing ballots and putting them into a bag. You take the insert out, you close it, and you seal it, so those picking up the ballots never actually touch the ballots unless they fell on the ground, and then they replace that with an empty container. It's a bit more work. But it allows, you know, if somebody were to be to watch, they would see, hey, that that was closed, sealed, and then they record the seal and then they deliver it back. So, you know, there's always that you see that image of somebody's just rifling through ballots, and and unfortunately that that becomes an a, a, an image and a narrative of who's touching these ballots. So so we we took extra steps uh, as far as our drop boxes, and then they come back, they stay they stay locked in that container. Um, with the seal on it until it's time to open them with with the election officials. Um, and as far as just you know, uh, just jumping back to the independent observers, one of the things that was a challenge last year and still is with COVID is to uh, allow in-person observers. So so we uh, the jurisdictions when they couldn't have enough space, they put video cameras up. So. You know the transparency is is important, so they would set up cameras in the room so the public could watch the proceedings. You know and the process, even if they couldn't get in um, because of COVID regulations. So 
So that that added an additional challenge to to being as transparent as you possibly can, allowing people to observe the process, but still protecting everyone's health. And Jen, I think one just last quick thing to add is the power of the voter. Um, I think we've empowered the voter with being able to self-serve uh, their own accounting of their ballot. So particularly like for, for mail ballot, you know, ballot tracking and self-serving through your, through your databases and being able to inform a voter where their ballot is in the, in the process um, has been popular in, in Colorado and the other states that have implemented it. Um, and it gives a sense of security on, you know, have it, has it been received, has it been processes? And every local election official knows that things don't just sort of go off into space. Voters like from when they're excited, they're calling you. When's my ballot coming? When's my ballot coming? So that's been a, a helpful tool as well around transparency. And just to really jump back, on to, just on the Dropbox and the other thing. So the state paid for all the Dropboxes. And so they're all identical. They're just identified by the county. Um, and that was a big part of our education campaign. So you would know what it looked like. They were all the same. Um, and that was important, especially last year. Uh, there, there was a certain uh, concern that the post office would not get ballots delivered on time. People were, were so, so they were more comfortable putting in the Dropbox, knowing that it went from them right to an election official. So they knew an election official was picking up, wasn't going through the mail stream. Uh, so I think that, that was very helpful last year. Uh, and this year that people feel more comfortable uh, using Dropboxes than, than having it go through the mail stream. Yeah, I think those are both two really good examples. And, and I love that, like empowering a voter or letting them know, you know, this is the most direct or secure method. And then those notifications, whether that's through ballot tracking or, uh, I, you know, I know we've seen this in states with a cure process, even part of that cure notification allows a voter to say, wait, 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 that wasn't me. You know, I didn't submit a ballot or I did or, or sort of um, help in sort of ensuring the integrity. And one thing that I like to point uh, folks to when we're having this conversation is to remind everybody that elections are managed by professionals. So often, uh, and I think we've done a lot better job of this over the years that I've, the 10 plus years I've been in election administration and sort of professionalizing it, uh, by ensuring that that election administrators and their staff have had training in logistics, election law, information technology, security, and now increasingly in in communications, and and so when an argument is made, you know, should we be moving this process to um, certified auditors or should we? Um, you know, change the way we uh, we think about this. I think the solution there is. There are certainly a lot of things that the election community can learn from the auditing community, some principles and ethical guidelines that could be incorporated into part of that professional training. Um, but despite all of that, this is a, as Pam mentioned, it's a very human process. Um, as an election director, and I know you both have been there, uh, both at the state and local level, you can't be everywhere, you can't be in every polling location, you can't be everywhere on a you know, warehouse floor watching ballots being processed. And so this again to me is one of the um, really important elements, I think, of election um, auditing. I love this idea that among um, other things, it gives us a way to sort of ensure that the work is being carried out uh, correctly. Uh, we know that some states have actually adopted in law uh, a type of compliance audit that allows them to sort of spot check um, different processes. So not just talking about post-election tabulation, but different areas of election administration to ensure uh, that work was done correctly. So I, you know, I'd love to get some thoughts from you if there are other areas of election administration uh, where there might be an opportunity to test or audit a particular uh, process. And that could, that, that may not necessarily be a formal sort of external audit. This could be an internal sort of audit or review that gets done. And um, given all that we've seen this year, would introducing uh, more audits uh, help or hinder uh, the work that we're doing and trying to build confidence in, in this process? Um, well, I'll, I'll start on that one just because one really leaps to mind as, as the clerk and recorder in Jefferson County, when I came in, um, look, I was, I was a history major, so statistics and audits um, really didn't hit my radar until 
I'm going to give a little, little shout out, MPA program. I got an MPA um, in Colorado. And uh, my husband, as you know, you often do with partners, is an engineer and is in manufacturing. And uh, so I felt like I was an apprentice through some of the quality assurance processes they, ha uh, they do in the manufacturing field um, that made sense um, when I was looking at elections operations and, and other operations with clerk and recorder, we did other things besides elections. So um, one of the things that we looked at was our signature verification process um, and not from any sort of disposition of someone's ballot, but is our training um, going well? Um, with verifying signatures for, for mail ballots. Um, how do we, uh, how are we doing in issuing ballots? Line maintenance. Um, do our judges get tired? Are our staffing levels appropriate? Um, registration data entry, is that, what's the accuracy of that? And so I think there's a, a really large role around um, operational process audits um, as a leader, as a manager of, of the system. Um, that I've utilized. We're having discussions about how, um, you know, uh, running the professional association as a county clerk, we do best practice um, um, sessions uh, throughout the year. And those great ideas get presented. Um, I presented our, our signature ver uh, verification checks and, and um, we're discussing that from a statewide perspective. Where um, can we um, utilize tools to make that efficient and effective. That's the piece. We are under-resourced, underfunded. Um, and so it, it, that is an additional piece to how do we um, improve our processes, become more effective, more efficient, and how can we validate that um, our training and our operations are working appropriately. Um, and there are many, many areas that we can, we can do um, even better work on that. So, and I think in addition to that, well, we do with our voting equipment, um, you know, the, the seals that go on them, you, you know, you can call that an audit every, every, before they go out, when they come back, you are checking all those seals, you're validating, you're, you're conducting an audit of all, of all your seals to make sure that, that you have the proper seals on, on your voting equipment. And that, that's really critical. Um, and not just, you know, we, we have, we have training uh, in New Jersey for our voting machine technicians beyond just looking at the number, we have seal use protocol trainings that, that show what to look for for tampering. So you don't wanna just say, yep, that's the same seal, it's the same number, it matches. You, you really have to we, you know, uh, touch and, and pull and, and tug and, and, you know, and feel to see if it's been tampered with. So, so we go above and beyond. So it's, a, it's you know, a different type of audit. You're auditing your seals every time they go out and come back. Yeah, I, I think that's good. And I, I, I saw a few um, questions pop up from uh, folks watching today, sort of reminding us of situations where things didn't go well, where uh, maybe ballots were found later on or something like that. And in all of those instances, uh, for me, it's very clear had a reconciliation been done, had that, that ballot accounting been done at each sort of step in the process, um, those those situations would have been averted. Um, same, Bob, like with the seals, sort of going through and ensuring both when they're sealed and after um, sort of puts, ensures that as they're going through that checking process, um, everything's there, everything's accounted for. But I think, Pam, uh, you mentioned probably, you know, that the, the number one constraint, sort of uh, a state or a jurisdiction implementing a full sort of uh, cadre of these sort of tests and audits and or, or internal evaluations, however we want to turn them, it really is about resources. And I think often when we say that word in these conversations, people think we mean money and we do, uh, but also we mean people, <laughs> people with the knowledge and skills and ability to help participate in these types of programs and, and help create them. And I think those are, are really important to think about. Well, I can tell you for our quality assurance on our signature validation, we look really closely um, in a bipartisan way at rejected signatures, but I always had questions about, you know, the, the single judge doing the accepted um, evaluation and our, we have a very robust training. Um, I went back to my stats book, <laughs> right, to get what the random sample is. I think uh, local election officials and probably even state, I won't speak to Bob, could really use experts building, helping them build those, those tools to say how, you know, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a history major or I'm a business major. Can you help me develop, you know, an easy to use tool on how to sample, right? I mean, or, or something even um, like that. And we've got great people in the space doing that, that sort of work. And I think that's moved the ball um, a great deal. Yeah, I think I think that's that's great, and I hope that we continue to sort of see the evolution of of that um, thinking in election administration. I, I want to. I did see a question, Jen, and I wanted to speak to sort of the transparency around audits, and we've had a lot of discussions about independent audits. Um, I do think that you know our public audit boards that are appointed by the 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 um, interested parties are a really important piece and around um, accessible, accessible election records and what's public, uh, that you know, has a spectrum. We do have to protect voter privacy and with paper records, sometimes we have to do some redaction, but um, in our state, we do have um, open records laws that provide a lot of access to that. So I noticed a question there um, and I thought I'd um, talk about that. Um, it, you know, with, with respect to ballots, it's a little bit different. Um, our ballots are public, um, but they need to remain anonymous. Yeah, I think uh, that and how we are um, sort of communicating um, what we do and how we do it continues to be a challenge. And maybe that's um, a, a kind of a good place to go with the conversation. So, uh, you know, my experience is that election testing, auditing canvas uh, are always uh, done regardless of the outcome. And, and sometimes, and Bob, you've just experienced this either because of a close margin of victory or because a candidate requests it, uh, a recount uh, might be performed. And then uh, if there's still doubt, even after the audit, after a recount uh, about the outcome or a candidate feels they've been harmed in some way, um, a challenge to the outcome can be taken to court for resolution. And that's part of why that chain of custody is so vital. So we know that there's this sort of this process, this sort of continuum along the spectrum of, of things that we can do to try to alleviate any doubt. So I, I guess I have two sort of thoughts here um, and happy if you want to avoid, one is a little bit political, uh, happy if you want to pass on that. The other one's a little more straightforward, but uh, you know, I, I do wonder if we should, your thoughts about uh, the concern around the attempt to use audits to change the outcome of an election. So essentially bypassing these uh, validation processes that have already taken place, bypassing the courts. Uh, we've certainly seen some attempts at that. And then just thinking about that in keeping that in the back of your head, if um, you care to comment on that, and, but also think about this transparency piece, like. How have those efforts um, in your own states or in others, has that changed the way you're communicating about election audits? Has it changed the way you're thinking about performing these audits um, in the future? So a couple of things. So as far as the transparency and in New Jersey, our secretary of state secretary way is the chief election official. So, and she is a, a huge proponent of, of the transparency and being open and letting everybody uh, see the process. Um, so, so that's very helpful when it starts at the top and, and then works its way down to have that kind of support uh, definitely makes it easier. But as far as, and, and you, you touched on it, is there's this kind of chicken and egg thing where, where do you do the audit first or the recount? And um, does the audit then say, well, we don't need a recount because we didn't audit? Um, so right now our law, and I, I think there's other states that you have this bit of a conflict where from a timing perspective, uh, as well as just um, a process perspective in that, do you audit before you certify or do you certify and then audit? Um, and then do you audit before, so in New Jersey, we have a recount period of, of 17 days after the election that you can ask for a recount. So if you're a losing candidate by one vote, you're not going to want anybody to touch those ballots before you have your recount. And that, that's where you get into this, this discussion to say, yeah, well, we're going to audit first. But if, if, especially if you have hand-marked paper ballots where, you know, things can happen and, and you know, there's that concern and there's that conspiracy theory. So, so do you say, well, when it's this close, it's only a few votes apart. You have 10,000 votes out there and, and the candidates are three votes apart. 
they're, they're going to want everything locked down. They don't want you to touch anything until they can have the recount. They can have their observers there because if, if you start doing your audits, you potentially could touch some of those ballots. So it, it raises an interesting question debate as to when the audit should occur. Um, so so we're, we're struggling with that in New Jersey, the way our law is written, you're supposed to audit before certification, but certification has to happen in such a tight time frame that there is not enough time uh, because we also have a law where in the law, the, the voting machines and everything is impounded for 17 days. So it's in conflict. How can I open something that's impounded to do an audit um, without notifying every ca potential candidate that we could open a voting machine or open uh, ballots with your potential race in there? So um, I, I, that's something we're, we're, we're talking about and struggling with right now as far as how that happens and that that time frame and that work plan. I know different states do it differently. And I, I don't have the answer for that, but I, I think it's, you kind of touched on a little bit recount versus audit, but I think that's a, a, a huge topic for discussion. Yeah, it, it, it was for us in Colorado, um, Bob, and we actually legislated changes in our timeline to accommodate our process. And, and, and what we've determined is, you know, we do our um, audit prior to our certification in our canvas and then recounts can get automatically triggered or the audit can, tr can trigger um, potentially a, a total hand recount um, depending on um, uh, discrepancies. And uh, so there is, there is a discussion and I think we could talk about that more about you know, the utility of the recount. I think there is utility in the recount um, um, still uh, as we improve our auditing processes and as we take a look at efficiencies around what's, you know, um, you know, the efficiency of the audit versus a, a full hand recount. I think that's an important topic um, that we should probably talk about more. Um, but I, I do wanna go back to the more political question. I, whatever risk that, 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 that means. Um, I don't think that an audit um, yeah, outside of the system, the legal framework should be able to in, you know, impact the, uh, the outcome of an election. I think that formal process um, should be built into the legal framework um, and changes to those rules. I, I think it gives all local election officials have, um, have been subject to rapid changes in the middle of an election, which we do not prefer, right? We want those, and I think it's important for the system for rules to be set in advance. We follow the rules, and that's the that's the outcome. And that there are opportunities to audit, but also to contest. We've built in for that transparency, accessibility. Our ballots are public, but we actually have a blackout date um, prior to you know certification. So that, you know, those ballots can't be accessed digitally or, or otherwise in advance of the legal framework that takes place under chain of custody. Um, because the rule of law is, is an important fundamental value for elections administration. Yeah, I think um, all of this actually really resonates with me. Uh, my work uh, specifically around implementing risk-limiting audits, which you both have been, Bob, you've been involved in pilots in New Jersey, PM, obviously with Colorado. Um, I think one of the things I learned early on is that there's not a one-size-fits-all. Uh, every state has um, this sort of their unique flower, <laughs> whether it's the voting culture within the state, the voting laws, the technology, the method of voting, where ballots get scanned, how they get stored, all of those sort of drive some of these things around um, the, the type and method of audit that can be done. And I think what I hear you both saying is there needs to be um, some flexibility there, especially when we get into that um, area that you discussed, Bob, where recount actually might make more sense, just going right to recount and, and skipping the audit, um, which in a sense accomplishes the same thing as an audit does, just with the entire, it, all of it is sampled instead of a, a portion of it. What, what it makes me think about, especially Pam, given what you just said, is are there principles around good audits. 
um, that we should be focusing on. Uh, you started, you talked about one, I think that's really important, meaning the audit itself, the method that we're going to use, the step-by-step the, the -step that, that the election official and their staff and the, and the public um, will adhere to is laid out ahead of knowing the outcome, ahead of the, the audit itself. Uh, Bob, you've done a great job in New Jersey step-by-step step sort of to your counties, here's how we're going to conduct an audit. I know in Colorado, uh, the election rules lay that out pretty clearly. Are there other things, other principles that we should be thinking about? And um, here's a little twist. <laughs> Is it time, uh, I said 50 states, 50 unique flowers, 50 different ways. Is it time to start thinking about some sort of national standard around um, audits? <laughs> I think that would be difficult. Um, you know, we're a nation of home rule where states, uh, our states are home, you know, our counties. There are some things you can do. The problem is you have different equipment. You know, it made it difficult even within New Jersey where you have, you know, multiple, multiple vendors that there are multiple uh, pieces of voting equipment um, that, that don't always audit the same. So, so to say this is absolutely how you have to do it um, across the nation could be very difficult. Um, you know, and, and as you said, when we, when we are writing up our, our guidance for an audit, we have to take that into account. Does this work for all of the different pieces of voting equipment being utilized in the state? How does it work? for vote by mail ballots? How does it work for provisional ballots? How does it work for a, you know in-person election day machines? So they're all a little bit different. So you're, you're kind of customizing it down to the county level. So, so I think that that could be difficult. There could be you know, best practices nationally you know, and, and that, but, but I think, or, or a model that you, you kind of work from, but I think having a federal kind of law or something to say, this is how you audit, you could maybe say you have to audit, but how you audit, um, you know, and even with risk limiting audits. So uh, over time, you know, they, the, the kind of the goalpost keeps getting moved on what, what is the best way to do one and, and how should you do it? And there's different philosophies. So do you go with this professor versus that professor's, you know, logic or, or statistics? And so, you know, and for a lot of the lay people, the RLA is a black box to us. We, you know, we don't know the numbers behind it. And so you're saying that if you use this formula, um, you will get the results you, you are looking for or the type of audit you're looking for. But to the layperson, the, and they start writing that on the board, um, you know, it, it, it's, we don't understand that language. Um, so, so it does make a unique challenge. Which which version would you would you accept? So I think there are challenges trying to get like like anybody getting everybody to agree on one model could be very difficult. So I think Bob just made an excellent argument for us, Pam, as to why standards uh, might be better focus might be better use of our, our sort of time and energy than methods. I, know I actually talked about that. Yeah, I, I actually completely agree, and I know. Um, we're very proud of our of what we've done in Colorado, but I, I want to reemphasize again, it took us 10 years to get here. And it wasn't just find the formula and build a tool that can do the math. It was systemic. So we have a lot of consistency amongst our jurisdictions with how voters interact with their, their, their ballots. So we centralize our counting, right? We don't do precinct-based counting that made our audit more possible. Um, I, I do think that there are some principles we could probably agree on from an audit perspective. One, we should have a, a verifiable piece of paper that we can always go back to, right? So that would be you know, a basic principle of audits that we, we can talk to. And we've seen so much progress in the profession and in the legal framework across the country. Um, I, I know I, I heard someone talking about we had you know, in 2016, 80% of, of voters voted on a piece of a voter verified piece of paper um, uh, or had a voter verified um, uh, paper ballot. And now that number is 90%. And so we are moving the ball on, on fundamental system principles that make auditing more possible. 
I think the method, again, I agree with, with Bob, I think what we're learning is, um, and this is what we learned over 10 years, you know, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you, as the systems evolve, and, and they always will, we're always looking for ways to improve, um, have, you know, the professionals bring them in to give you that, that piece. Another fundamental principle is, is the transparency piece. Um, you know, our tool, you know, is open source code, right? And as it's updated, that gets uploaded. And, and so I think, you know, and the documentation is public. Um, the, the interaction, the auditors are independent, um, publicly appointed um, boards. And so I think starting there um, and giving tools, you know, on the process for jurisdictions to be able to self-select that fits their system, um, their voting culture, um, that will also um, increase confidence as you would evolve as well. So, and I yeah, think just it. one thing that, that Pam kind of triggered was how important the front end is on auditing that people don't realize preparing the ballots ahead of time. That was one of the, the, the big things we learned. So if you're like, for us, when we did the vote by mail, because we had what is a fixed percentage audit in our state that you had to create batches. So instead of just taking your ballots, because the equipment can run ballots through, doesn't care what town it is, what it just can you know, randomly put the ballots through and give you your results. That doesn't work for a fixed audit. You had to, you had to separate the ballots by town, then further separate them down to batches. So you, you could create this, this fixed percentage uh, so it, because it talks about no batch being larger than um, the turnout at a polling place. So you so so there's this front end work that people have to realize. And again, maybe a different method where, oh, we don't care. You don't have to do a 2%. You can just randomly select them. Then you don't have to do all that front end work. So I think, I, I think that has to be part of it. Like, hey, this is a great way to audit. What does it mean on the front end? How much more work is on the front end versus the back end? So I think those kind of uh, discussions need to happen when you're talking about what method you want to use. Well, and, and, and I, I think on that transparency part, um, communication is also important to instill confidence. When you talk about audits, you start talking about things like diluted margin, you know, and numbers, you know, that is a really difficult thing um, to do. Uh, and you know, over time, you know, that's, that's improved for us. We, we say, look, we take a piece of paper and we're comparing everything on that piece of paper with how it was counted, right? And to a, a hot, you know, a predetermined level of confidence until we're that, you know, and we keep doing it. We keep pulling pieces of paper until we're confident the outcome was correct. And we pull more paper, the closer the races, less paper, the further away. That's, and if anybody has recommendations on how to communicate that better <laughs> to the layman, we are open to that. But, um, but we use that, those facts and that evidence and the pieces of transparency to try and say, look, we're, we're doing the work of the people and, and, and our elections are citizen elections. These are people from your communities that are doing this work, um, which is a, a really important piece of that, that um, validation and that transparency. Just want, and I don't mean to jump, but yeah. you bring up a good point on on citizen elections, uh, especially you know after 2020, where there was this this doubt, and and it's funny when you know when I talk to my friends or or people I know, and they're and I'm like, no, this is how it works. The the elections are are fair and they're transparent. They're like, yeah, but we know you, Bob. But what about in other states? We don't know those people. Mm -hmm. So it, it's and you're right, getting that message out that it's your neighbors, it's it's your your neighbors, your your, your husbands, your wives, your, your brothers, your, you know, your sisters, like these are the people that are doing it. These are, for the most part, these are people that are there. And, you know, uh, uh, the election workers are there because they believe in democracy and they, they want to be part of the process. And they just, and, and it's, and, and it's, it is frustrating times when you hear stuff like that. And you're like, no, like we're all the same, whether it's New Jersey, Wisconsin, Colorado, like there, we all have the same end goal uh, for democracy, and 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 you're right. These are citizen elections, and we're all working towards that. And if the auditing helps people believe that, then that's fantastic. Bob, that's an excellent sort of transition to our final question. Uh, before I go there, though, there's been a lot of questions in the Q and A, and I know some were submitted ahead of time uh, about the the real like sort of details and guts of how these 
how this works, where they can find resources, um, what constitutes a valid audit, things we just haven't had a chance to cover today. So I just want to let folks know uh, if, if you'd like to get an answer, feel free to forward that to the Humphrey School and I will do my best to um, to try to respond to that uh, through email or, or some way because there's there are great resources out there. We continue to see sort of more thought uh, put to paper around uh, these standards that we talked about. Um, if nothing more than just starting to think about sort of an ethical sort of code of conduct for folks that um, engage in an election audit. But I want to just sort of end on uh, the note uh, around communication, Bob. The, uh, and we've, I've got about 60 seconds for each of you. Uh, the, the overarching goal of an audit should be to provide evidence, right? As you said, you both said uh, that the outcome is correct, that the election was conducted uh, accurately and fairly, and ideally we use the audit to build trust. How are we doing with that? And I say we, our, our country in general, um, are we succeeding? Is there more we could do? Um, are there challenges still uh, to be met? And uh, feel free if you, in your six seconds, even want to point to just a success that we've seen somewhere. Go ahead, Pam. Um, I think we're doing better and better every election um, and in, in implementing systems that can provide confidence. Um, this, you know, this discussion we're having today, you know, is exhibit A. I think, you know, those of us that have been in elections administration and policy for a while know, and, and the reason why we're still here is because it's the most fascinating um, field of technology and humanity and, uh, and politics. Um, and so, you know, some of those challenges, you know, what, what's the number one challenge? Challenge human nature, right? <laughs> and, and the human, human component. Um, we've, you know, been faced with mis and disinformation. Um, I think that it's been a real challenge that, thank goodness, we've put these things in place. And we, you know, we still have room to grow. We still have somewhere to go that we can be able to, tap, you know, tap into. Um, and then I think, you know, the things that I, that gives me hope and maintains is once, once, you know, people uh, learn about this, they become poll workers or the election judges, or they get into the field, um, that gives me a great deal of confidence. And so the, the challenge is human nature, but also the hope I have is the human nature, right? Because we have seen election officials across the country continue to support our democratic institutions and put out accurate and faithful information for voters um, and, you know, and, and continue to look to um, provide easy voting access and secure and accurate elections. Um, and we'll keep doing it. Thanks, so, Pam. Bob, you get the yeah, last word. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, and I agree with what Pam said. And I think for, from our standpoint, um, the education is key, that educating voters um, that, that yes, we are conducting audits and these audits will help people feel more confident. So in New Jersey, we post all the audit results on our website. So we, we stress that if you wanna see your county's results of the audit, you can go to the website and, you know, and they'll explain, these are the batches we pulled, this is, the, this is what we did. So it's, it's right there in front of you. And like I said, when we, uh, yeah, where we have them on Zoom meetings um, and, and the transparency. So I think education and transparency are the two keys uh, to get people to, to have that confidence in elections. And, and like I said, when we were getting all those requests, uh, are we going to audit the gubernatorial election? Um, and when we told them we, we have the, the audit law, yes, every county will be audited, um, that a lot of people felt at ease. They, they felt much better knowing that, okay, I don't even have to request it. You guys are doing it automatically. I, so I think that's key that, that voters in the, you know, where, where it's required, they understand that. So I think that's really, like I said, education and transparency are the key. That's awesome. Thank you both so much. I know you're incredibly busy and I really appreciate you taking the time to have a conversation today. And thanks to everybody uh, who joined us virtually. I uh, look forward to the next one. Thank you.